It's good to see everyone this morning. Good to be back in town. I know some of us were out of town all week, and um, nice to be back. Um, although I left Florida yesterday, it was 75 and sunny, and landed in a rain deluged airport that was 50 something, and I thought, this is just not a, not as pretty. But I'm not sorry. But you know, I know we need the rain. But it's not Minnesota. And if I hadn't gone, if yeah, it wasn't snow. <laughs> it wasn't Could've snow. Could have been. But it's good to be home. Well, let's have a word of prayer before we begin our class this morning. If you would bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we have to study a portion of your word. We thank you for your word. Uh, without it, we would be lost. Um, and we thank you for your son, um, that great gift to all mankind for all time um, that you planned in, in, uh, before the creations of the world knowing that we would need to be um, rescued, that we would need to be forgiven and reconciled to you because you're holy and we are not. Um, so thank you for all of those great gifts. As we study a portion today, help us to put our hearts into the things that were, that were written, uh, that we might glean some things that we can apply in our lives and be encouraged by um, uh, what Paul did in Thessalonica as well as what we can do in your kingdom today. Forgive us of our sins, and as we enter into the worship later this morning, Please help us to offer a service that is um, acceptable and pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Entrez-vous. So I know it's Super Bowl Sunday. Um, I don't know that anybody here has um, a, a great huge stake in that game since uh, certainly the Titans are not playing and uh, um, maybe even a nearby uh, city that might have a team. I don't know that any of you are fans of San Francisco or um, Kansas City, but maybe you are, or maybe you're just a fan of an individual on the team. Um, I say that because I know that Alan and Melissa always invite everybody over on Super Bowl Sunday after the evening lesson uh, tonight. So after services tonight, and we're all invited over to Alan and Melissa's house. I'm sure they've gone to preparations to have us all there. Um, but I was thinking of um, what we're about to study this morning and thinking of what was like, and here's what came into mind. This is how crazy I am sometimes. I was thinking of the, also that we're studying the book of Esther. And the book of Esther stopped on Wednesday nights. And then the book of Esther starts with banquets. And they were banquets that were worthy of a king. You know, they went on for days, in fact, months. Um, there was food, and, and uh, the king, Artaxerxes, took it and, 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 and toured the palace with the people that were there. So I'm expecting, Alan, uh, a banquet worthy of a Super Bowl. <laughs> of course, that's up to the rest of us, right? Because aren't we all bringing our favorite Super Bowl food? But when we say that, when we say a banquet worthy of a king, or, or whatever we say, uh, clothes that were worthy of a person's profession, what do we mean by that, to be worthy of something like that? To meet their standard or expectation? Sure. So there's an expectation that makes that worthy. When we get to this section of, of chapter 2 of, of 1 Thessalonians, 
Um, Paul is concluding some things about the way that he um, taught and conducted himself in Thessalonica when he first went there. Remember he was in Philippi um, where the first people were converted, Lydia and the Philippian jailer and their households. He goes to Thessalonica. He's only there for three Sabbaths, so he could have been there a little longer than that, maybe four weeks. Uh, could have been close to five, but a short amount of time. And he, uh, the Jews in the synagogue there make it extremely difficult for him. He has to leave. He goes to Berea. The Berean people are more noble, he describes them, because they actually were sincerely interested in what the Word had to say. And if Paul was telling the truth compared to what the Word taught that they had available to them. So they would have been looking at the prophecies of Jesus and seeing if Paul was telling the truth about Jesus being the fulfillment of those prophecies. But the Jews from Thessalonica followed him there, made it impossible for him to be able to be effective in Berea, and so they had to sneak him out at night and escorted him all the way to Athens and alone and left Timothy and Silas in Berea. They finally are on their way to meet him in Athens when some of this happens that we're going to get to today. <coughs> My point being that he hadn't spent much time with them. And so he's written this letter to them fairly short in a short amount of time after he had been there. He gets to Corinth. He's been in Corinth for 18 months, and sometime in that 18-month period, he writes both letters, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, to them, worried about them because of the degree of persecutions. Those, those Jews in Thessalonica were uh, physically abusing the people who professed to believe in Jesus as the Son of God and as their king. Um, they abused Jason in his household where they thought Paul was staying. That continued after Paul left to anyone who probably still professed that they believed. So he writes this letter, and the first part of this little section here, and kind of leading up to it in the first part of this chapter, Paul talks about how he conducted himself when he was with them. And I would use the word worthy to describe how Paul behaved. Paul behaved in a way that was worthy of the gospel. He conducted the message, what, what, what do you think I mean by that, by the way? That Paul conducted himself in a way that was worthy of the gospel. Did he want them to take it seriously? So did he teach it to them in a critical way so they would take it seriously? Did he have anything that he put in their way that might have been a distraction from what he was trying to accomplish? Did he behave in a way that might have been, um, like I say, distracting, disruptive, um, would have would have been, it would have made the message less effective because of something that maybe Paul might have been doing. No. And he goes in this section and he says pretty much, when I was with you, I did these things in a way that was worthy of the gospel that God asked me to teach to you. And he even says that we were entrusted with it. We were tested, proven to be able to be capable of doing this. Um, and so we come to this passage at the end of this section, which says... Um, and I'll start reading in verse, well, I'll just read, I'll just read verse 7 through the end of the, of the, end of the chapter. Um, Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles instead, we were gentle among you as, as a nursing mother 
nurtures her own children. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers and sisters, working night and day so that we would not burden any of you. We preached God's gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you believers. And that's where we ended last week, talking about what he meant by being devout, being righteous, and being blameless. As we conducted ourselves with you believers, as you know, like a father with his own children. And then he says this, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul has just provided what I believe to be a description of what it means to what it looks like to to be a preacher or a, an evangelist or someone who's teaching another person the gospel in a worthy way. So what does he mean at the end of this chapter when he says now it's your turn I want you to walk, and he says, I encouraged, comforted, comforted and implored. Or, if you're in the ESV, uh, I charged you, um, we exhorted each one of you, encouraged you, and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. What does Paul mean there? Or what does he not mean there? I love, for me, it makes a lot of sense sometimes to look at what, what teachers in the, in the Bible tell us to do by looking at, so what does that mean we shouldn't do? Um, so what is he not saying to walk in a way that is worthy of God? What, what would that maybe not be if, if you're struggling with what it would be? Barry? Yeah, so... What's another way to say that? Can we, Wayne? I'm looking where it says exhorting and encouraging and imploring. He was not an imperial presence. He didn't say, you, God, do this. He was, when, when we move among men, when, if we treat the gospel as if, if we represent a father that is brutal in the way we speak or not compassionate or whatever, that's not like God. He, he says we want you to act like you are a loving group as much as we show my love to you you show your love to those around you. I think that's kind of an overriding message. I may not be asking this question the way I'm trying to get it to go, but well, because we're all missing around it. Crystal, go ahead. I'll, I'll ask a different question. I think it refers to Acts chapter 1, where it talks about your work of faith. Faith and love is the of hope and becoming imitators of us and of the Lord. Uh, and then we talked about how they got to know them so quickly. Um, I think the words brothers and mother and father, it doesn't take us long to live our family. Um, right. And as long as it doesn't matter who they are or who they turn out to be, we look them anyway. And you're immediately <laughs> genuine and not 
Sure, genuine. Yeah. All great comments. And I like that you tied it back to some of the way what Paul complimented them on in chapter 1. Um, Rick? Well, and like Crystal said, being Isaac, be imitators of us. Be imitators. Do those things. I completely agree. That's so. Those are the those are the ways that it would manifest itself in 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 your life by being imitators. That's the nut right there. If, if we're gonna if we're gonna be imitators, like Paul said to the Corinthians, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. What he really was trying to get people to do was imitate Christ. I, I think we also Adam. see. Specifically references we weren't greedy for money, and we didn't ask for honor, you know, a host of, of things that that they didn't do that would have distracted from the power of the gospel because it would have been empowering them. So instead of seeking authority or power or flattery or money, they chose to emphasize solely the gospel and not their own trying to go, um, probably clumsily, and the opposite of that. Can we, so, since he says, not so, so Paul said he behaved in a worthy way in the way that they presented the gospel. So almost as if the behavior of Paul and Silas and Timothy was in a way that um, showed the people how important it was to them to do what they were there to do present the gospel to them. He says it a little different in here by saying walk in a manner that is worthy of God or in the New American Standard worthy of the God. Um, it's not the gospel that he's asking them to walk in a worthy way about. He's asking them to walk in a way that's worthy of God or worthy of the God. Um, can we, and, and Barry hit it on it, Adam hit on it, you've all hit on some of the parameters of it. Can we walk in a way that could earn our 
as if we would deserve the reward that God has laid aside for those who believe and are faithful. See, that's Micah. Just, yeah, to your point, no. Yeah, that's the short answer, that's right. <laughs> uh, no, but it's, it's, I think it's been, like you said, it's been kind of said, but it's, when we're walking in a worthy manner, it's to, the worth is still in the Like we're either drawing or showing the value of yeah. the gift and yes. how we walk or we are distracting from the value of the gift. So when we're walking in a manner that's worthy of God, it's not showing that we are worth what God gave us. It's showing that what God gave us is so valuable that how we walk tries as best we can to reflect the value. Perfect. And that's where I'm, and here's where I'm going with that. Where else do we hear this word worthy all the time? Sometimes every week. When we come together on the first day of the week. What are we supposed to do in a worthy manner? On the first day of the week. Take the Lord's Supper. So when you connect these concepts, we always say we'll never be worthy of the sacrifice, like Adam said. Um, we'll never have a lifestyle. We'll never live in a way that God says, you deserve the gift of my son. So... We get confused sometimes in that scripture because it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, we get a little confused about that because he, in that context, Paul writes to the Corinthians to partake in a way that's worthy. And then he talks about people um, assessing themselves. That we need, to, we need to judge ourselves rightly when we're partaking. Or we, when we partake in an unworthy manner, we call judgment upon ourselves in that context about the Lord's Supper. So some, I know, get confused. Not among us, I'm saying, but there are people who when they read scriptures like that say there must be, a, we must have to walk in a way, we must have to behave in a way that when I come, to get, when I come on the first day of the week, I have to feel like, you know what, this week I was worthy enough to actually take this supper. That's not what he's saying in Corinthians and it's not what he's saying here about being walking worthy of God. You've all hit on it. It's walking in a way that shows how important that is in your life. How, um, how critical your appreciation is for what God has done for you that you're treating it with some priority in your life. And it shows in, the, in your life. And yes, we'll still make mistakes. We'll never be worthy. We'll never earn that great gift or God or being in his kingdom. But our life should show how seriously we take it, number one, and how much we appreciate it. That we would go the extra mile and do things that maybe people wouldn't normally do for other things, that you wouldn't normally do for other things. Why is Paul saying it in this context? Because he's going to talk about their afflictions and their persecutions. And if they're not um, walking in, a, in a, with an attitude that I am just so grateful and frankly unworthy of what God has given me that I just want to do all I can in my life to show how much I'm grateful. I'll do my best. I'll try. And that's the heart that God is looking for 
by the way. I'll get right to you and I'll go, go to you first. Go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, the people seek him in our life. That would make it a worthy walk. Go ahead. Yeah, so you know, looking at this chapter and just being so impressed by all of the work that Paul did, he did it so that the Thessalonians would walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Um, and so um, maybe the, the question there for us to think about is um, how high of a standard do we have for each other? That my behavior, my conduct, is exhorting my brethren to walk in a manner worthy of God. Um, and so this is something that we should feel personally responsible to walk in that worthy way. But then also for us to conduct ourselves in a way that would compel our brethren also to walk in that similar manner. So good. That's so good because of what he says right above that, that, there, that they had become witnesses um, to the people that were outside of, of Macedonia. Um, and we're going to come to a part here in a minute where he talks about in the next section, which we're going to get to right now. We come to the next section where he talks about how they had become imitators of somebody else. And people had heard about that outside of Macedonia. So they were accomplishing exactly that by the way they were taking this seriously and living their life. They were walking in a way that, was, that showed that the message was worthy to be presented in their life. And they were walking in a way that did that, showed their gratitude for it. And they were suffering persecutions. They were being beaten, killed um, because of their appreciation for this great message and this great plan. And it's important to keep that in the context of where he's headed next. Go ahead, Adam and Rick. I Adam. Think sometimes we can get caught up in this idea of can you earn salvation? No, we can't earn it. We're, we, aren't, we can't be worthy. Um, I think we need to sometimes maybe improve our language a bit in that earning something is related to I labor. And for my labor, I get paid yeah. for that. In that way, we cannot earn salvation. But, but if we think about being eligible for gifts or grants, what, what we are seeking is to live lives such that God will grant us eternity. He'll grant us, he'll gift us salvation and mercy and hope. I think sometimes we can, the, the confusion we give is, well, you can't earn salvation, but you still have to live really well so that you can earn salvation, <laughs> right? Like we, we, it, it's kind of, it's like this really confusing concept. And I think it's, instead, if you think about earning versus gifting or granting, uh, and it's like, uh, you, could, you could look at a child or a teenager, I have some of those, right? And um, when they earn something, I have to pay it to them, right? But they can live in a way that they're not eligible for certain grants and gifts at times because they're not living with thanksgiving. They're not living with joy. They're not living in certain ways. But when they live uh, in those ways with joy, with hope, with kindness, they are granted sometimes gifts that they can't necessarily earn. And so it's 
you, we still have to live righteously. We're not eligible for the grant or the gift of salvation if we don't live or attempt to live as rightly and as righteously as possible. Yeah, I think, it, 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 you know, I don't want to belabor this too much longer, but I think when we think about the purpose, um, we talked about it last week just briefly, that if God's purpose for us was to be united with him in heaven for eternity, and that's all his purpose was, then why wouldn't he take us there when we uh, accepted the invitation of the gospel said we believed in Jesus with all of our heart and truly um, were dedicated and committed to that, to that love and were baptized, why wouldn't he take us right then? If that were his goal for us, why wouldn't he take us right then? And the reason for that is because he has another purpose for us. Um, yes, that's what he wants for eternity, but what does he want right now? And when we walk in a way that's worthy of God, to me, hit on the head, it's because he wants us to reflect our joy and our gratitude and what we've come to know and embrace so that others will be drawn to him. And in that way, potentially aligning with what you just said, Adam, that's fulfilling our purpose. It, and it is some bit of a, of a vernacular thing there, but um, we're not done when we become Christians. Paul says in this book, we're going to find out later, that God's not done with us. He wasn't done with these Thessalonians when they became Christians. He's not done with us when we become Christians. And we'll get to some of that concept later. Rick? Yeah, I think it's good that we struggle with the word worth. It is used in a couple different ways. Yeah. And, you know, we are to walk worthily before God. Uh, and we are to strive for righteousness. We know that there's no one righteous, there's nobody that's righteous in and of themselves. But God can count us as righteous if we, if we follow him. And the two scriptures that come to mind on worthiness, I mean, I. Jesus said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Which of us does that perfectly? Yeah. None of us. But there's a, there is a striving and a struggling for worthiness. And yet, we can be worthy and we can count us as worthy. But then even John the Baptist said that I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. Yeah. And which of us has demonstrated the faith of John the Baptist? So right. um, we are to struggle with it, I think. We are yeah. to strive for it. We are to recognize what God's done for us and show absolutely as much honor as we can muster. But we're still going to fall short. Yeah, two, and two reactions I'd have to that. First of all, I also think about Peter when he finally realized who Jesus was on the, on the seashore. And he falls to his face and says, get away from me. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Um, there are lots of those concepts. The other thing I was thinking of was the verse about counting the cost. The verses you were talking about counting the cost. 
um, when we aren't living a life that demonstrates that we put him first and we do put our family first or our friends first or a, a job first, if we let other, other things interfere with our commitment to living for God, then clearly we're not living life in a that reflects how appreciative we are and that makes us unworthy, frankly. Um, all right, we've got to move on. Um, so the next section in this chapter, section uh, verses 13 through 20, read this way. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of mere men, but as what it really is, the word of God which also is at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same suffering of, at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all people, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. With the result that they always reach the limit of their sins, but wrath has come upon them fully. But we, brothers and sisters, having been orphaned from you by absence for a short while in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face, for we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, more than once, and Satan hindered us. For who is our hope or joy or crown of pride in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Or is it not indeed you? For you are our glory and joy. So, I asked this question in the questions that were in the handout. If Paul was talking, if he was the subject of the section we just finished, who's the subject of this section? And if, if, you're, if, you're, like, I mean, if you're not into English, um, you know, the subject, the verb, and the object, this is like ball, uh, Bob ran. Bob's the subject, ran is the verb. Who's the subject here in this section? Paul was, if Paul was the subject of the last section. Paul and Silas and Timothy, I'll put that collectively. Thessalonians. Thessalonians. So he shifts a little bit here from talking about himself and the way that they conducted themselves when they were to, with them to what the Thessalonians did. So how did the Thessalonians respond? <clears throat> what, did, what are some words or phrases here that he says about them? What things did they do um, uh, that he complimented them about? Right out of the passage. They endured. They received the word of God in a way that was what? As that of the word of God, not of mere men. They took, and so here you see the fruit of Paul and Silas and Timothy's efforts. If they were operating in a way, teaching in a way that was worthy of the gospel, here you see the response of someone who receives teaching in that way. They respond to it as the word of God, not as the word of men. They were not drawn to believe in this because Paul believed in it. I'm sure that was stimulating, as our example is, to others. But they were stimulated to believe in it because it was the word of God. They were drawn to God, not to Paul. 
That's something when we're teaching people that we need to also be aware of. We don't want people believing in something because we believe in it. We want them to believe in something because it is the Word of God. And we need to point them to that at all times. This is not me saying this. This is what the Scriptures say. This is what God is teaching. And so that's the way that they, they were drawn. So they are the subject of this section. Um, what do you think was at work? How, how was the word at work in them? What, what characteristics do you see in, the, in that section that shows you that the word was at work in them? What the things do you see that he describes that they started doing? Right away, verse, you know, I'll give you the verse. Verse 14. They became imitators of something. Who did they become imitators of? Other churches. Other churches that were doing what? What did we just talk about? Other churches that were walking worthy of God. They were living their lives, putting God first at great cost. Barry. And here I made a great point one time. Talking about it from first Corinthians, but this fits. We should not we should not be walking into a church and going, wow, what's what are they doing now? There's a pattern that all the churches follow that the Lord laid down. In First Corinthians, Paul continues to say, "I'm commanding this just as the other churches nine times. I'm commanding this, do this because this is, this is. I'm not just telling you this is all the churches. You're not following that. You're missing it." And since you said that, what pattern had occurred in Judea that was now happening to the Thessalonians? At the hands of whom? Alan said they were suffering. At the hands of whom? Their own countrymen. The Jews. The Jews in Judea were the ones that were causing the problems, who crucified the Savior, who still made it difficult, who caused the the diaspora that caused the people to have to flee was all due to the Jews in Jerusalem and Judea. Wayne? What's he referring to that when he says that result that they always reach the limit of their sins? <laughs> How bad does he get? What is their limit? <laughs> does that mean that we have a limit? We can cap out? On sins, I've already committed all the sins in my life. I can commit. I'm done. Essentially, you're going to drown <coughs> being weighted down. I, I would 
I would connect the limit of their sins or this, the most terrible of things you can do, directly being that you're hindering others from, from following the Lord. And that that's what they've done. And so the, the, the max or the cap, the worst you can be, is not that you are just evil unto yourself and you sit in your room and hate God, but that you have gone so far as to spread and prevent others from loving God. And I, I definitely want to capitalize on this because um, this I agree. Um, and I want, to, I want to talk about how that can look um, in a minute. But go ahead, Crystal. I think it's important to acknowledge that he's not asking them to do anything new, that he's Paul and Silas and Timothy and yeah. Jesus have all suffered and they've, they've all gone through the same things and so he's not expecting them to do something different than the rest of them. Yeah, it's just, it, I, the general point that Paul's making is that no matter where Christianity goes, there will be persecutions. And it is a point that he will make here. And it's a point we read in other letters written by other people and Paul too, that if you are a Christian, you will be persecuted. And so Paul's using that in a way to encourage these Thessalonians that not only are people hearing about you outside of Macedonia, but you're even, you're being compared to the Christians in Judea who were persecuted by the Jews in a way that's historical. They were so persecuted that they crucified the Savior. They were so persecuted um, that they all had to be dispersed so that they could be Christians because it was almost impossible to be a Christian in Jerusalem. We know that people stayed, but they were, had a very, very difficult life. Their trade, everything that the Jews did in the Jerusalem and in Judea affected who they were as an affiliate of being a Jew. So Jews would trade with Jews but if you were not a Jew, if you said, I'm a Christian, then people were being canceled in their society. And you could no longer buy food from other Jewish establishments because you were being discarded as a Jew. So their lives were very, very hard. And all Paul's saying here in this section is, you're living that out in a totally different area because you're being persecuted by your own countrymen. Maybe, to Rick's point, your own family. And yet you're remaining faithful. It's remarkable that Paul's so worried about what these people might have been going through such a short time after he has left. And he finds this stuff out because he sends Timothy there. We're going to read that in the next chapter. And he's gotten a report from Timothy when Timothy comes back. And he's, he's just, I think, I would just say unbelievably encouraged. Over, in an overwhelmingly way encouraged by the, the fact that they are continuing to be faithful. And, he, and he's just encouraging them in these ways. Now we'll get to this thing about reaching the limit here. Barry. In the ESV, so always to fill up the measure. There you go. <laughs> and if you parallel that, Jesus said the same thing in mm. Matthew chapter 23 uh, when he said, uh, uh, let's see, in verse 31 32, thus you witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. 
fill up the measure of your fathers. Yeah. So it's like an accumulation of, of rebelliousness and getting to the point they even killed Jesus and then getting to the point that they even killed the offspring uh, that Jesus produces. So in the scriptures, when it talks about fulfilling up to the measure, we're also talked about in Ephesians as a church. We're supposed to mature as a church um, and come to a unity of the knowledge of, of the Savior until we reach the fullness of Christ. This is the principle here. That's the opposite, but it's the same principle. You can be filled up to the measure of Christ. You can reflect Jesus to the fullest in your life, by the way you live, by the way you express joy, by how you support and help other people, by the way that you're always looking for ways that you can serve and teach or endure when times are difficult. That's living up to the full measure of Christ. These people were living up to the full measure of their ancestors, but certainly Satan. So it, the limit, use of the word limit there is a little challenging because the concept is what Barry just pointed out and exactly, I, I completely agree. If you can think of the worst example of, of, of sinning, these people somehow were succeeding at that and always living up to the full measure of evil. And although they might have seemed like they weren't that evil, like a, a murderer or someone who takes advantage of children in a horrible way which our hearts just pour out to for those kinds of atrocious crimes in God's eyes a sin is a sin is a sin and the causing of someone to fall like Adam pointed out was where I wanted to go the concept that God gives us in those scriptures where he talks about a millstone being hung around our neck and being thrown into the into the sea or to the in, into the water Broaden that concept beyond children and just think, how does God feel about anything in any situation that causes someone to stumble? So how does he feel about division? I put that right up on the list of what Adam referenced cause one of these children to stumble. He's talking about adults in that, by the way, at that point in that passage, who are like children, who've accepted who Jesus is. If you cause them to stumble, if you are dis even discouraging them by discrediting who Jesus is or the message of the gospel, you are what he's talking about there, about a millstone being tied around your neck. God has no tolerance for people who either keep someone from hearing the gospel or take it away from them once they've heard it by saying negative things about the people they worship with or someone's cause for Christ when they're trying to do their best to fulfill a mission to spread the gospel. We need to think seriously sometimes about the things we say that are seemingly harmless. But I think God look, may look at those things in a very different way. Um, 
So we're out of time, but I want to hit this next little section and then right into chapter 3. So we'll start right there at verse 17 next Sunday, and we will get through chapter 3 because I do think that um, it's a chapter that sort of just says um, or, or demonstrates what Paul's talking about here right in this section. He basically says, and here's what it looks like to you. Uh, when I sent Timothy, here's what I heard. Um, so thank you for your comments. Appreciate it. Um, look forward to worshiping with you all.